and the conversation is like 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there. And then you'll get to a point in, in your friendship with whoever and you'll talk about it for a longer time and you'll talk about God for longer. And um, like it's just it's, it's good to see that people really are interested, like you said, like people really do want to talk about it. You just need to give them the opportunity because people aren't going to bring it up on their own. You need to. Two, one, action. Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It 99 here with another episode here in, again, Virginia with two very special guests. I have with me Michael Messa and Mr. Isaac Elias, a returning guest. So thank you guys for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. Um, so today's topic is about evangelism, specifically evangelizing within um, our own like friend groups and like within people around our age. And obviously, it's a very very tough subject to talk about, and it's a tough thing to to do. You know, it's very hard to spread the word of God with your friends because a lot of people uh, take it as like a joke or like kind of play it off. So, my first question to both of you guys is, you know, what? What kind of strategies, you know, do you try and try and use when evangelizing to others? So the first thing uh, I'd like to tell you and your viewers is you can't fill others if you're not filling yourself. So I remember someone told me, like, um, the most selfish thing you can do is not do your quiet time because then um, God will give you a message for someone else. So the first thing you have to do is fill yourself so that you can fill others. And then the next thing is make sure you're living out the mission. Um, and what I like to do is I don't, I'm not the megaphone guy that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If that's you, that's great, but that's like not my personality. But I like to wear like my SDSA t-shirts, my, my Coptic shirts, Christian, whatever, just to give people an avenue to ask questions about it. And I've noticed that people ask so many questions. I'm very fortunate my dad is a, a priest. So I'll always go in with the question, what does your dad uh, do for a living? They'll say doctor, policeman, fireman, whatever. What does your dad do? Coptic priest. And that opens the floor. Um, so I kind of have like an internal strategy, but I like like them being the one to ask the first question, if that makes sense. Michael has it easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I used to think that I needed to always uh, evangelize using my words. Um, and always like preach to people using my words, but um, just finished, just having finished my first semester in college, uh, I noticed that I evangelized using my actions a lot more than using my words. So, um, like for example, people will notice me, um, like they'll notice my Bible, they'll notice the cross I have in my room, the picture of St. Mary, um, they'll notice me actually reading it and actually living out what I say I would do or um, whatnot. So, I mean, speaking is uh, definitely an important aspect in evangelizing, and it's something I'm personally working on. But actions, it's very, very uh, cliche, but actions do speak louder than words, um, especially in evangelism. I feel like if you live out what you say you believe in, then people will notice that. Yeah, I think when it comes to evangelism, um, one of the things that people struggle with the most when it comes to evangelizing others is, you know, figuring out like which role to take, right? Like St. Paul says, not all will be preachers, not all will be prophets, not all will be teachers, not all like, you know, there's a different role for every single person. But every single role has something to do with the salvation of those around you. And every single role has some sort of evangelism within it. 
And I think for me and for a lot of people, the biggest struggle is finding out what is that role that I play? Like, what role do I play in the salvation of those around me? And it's a very, it's a very, it's a very hard question to answer, especially at our age. A lot of people don't, you know, barely know themselves. And so I like your point of it's like, fill yourself before filling others. Because by filling yourself with God, you get to know yourself better. You know, we're created in the image of God. So as we know God, we get to know ourselves. As we know ourselves, we get to know God. It's, you know, very similar. As we get to know other people, we get to know God. Um, so I really like that point of filling yourself before others. And then the actions speak louder than words is one of the most important things. Sure, it's cliche, but it really it's really true. Like I can sit here and talk on this podcast all I want, but if I, you know, go back and do everything I, everything that I say not to do on the podcast, like my words hold no value. Definitely. So yeah, like the, like the actions like support the value, support the words that I say. Um, but then you, you come to this, like this issue where it's like, you know, obviously we all struggle. We all go through things. We all, you know, fight for things, um, that we need to work for. So where is that line of being a hypocrite really when it comes to, you know, evangelizing versus you're just, you know, talking just for the sake of it? My opinion, like we're all sinners and like no one here definitely is perfect. Uh, priest, bishop, whatever, we all sin. But I still come from, it still comes from that original point of filling yourself first versus you fill others. Because if you fill yourself and you're reading your Bible, praying your Agbeya daily, then it's a lot harder to be a hypocrite, in my opinion, if you're doing it with a genuine heart. So my answer would still be like, still fill yourself um, so that you can fill others. And like, if you're not filling yourself, then it's very easy to fall into being a hypocrite because you don't have anything like keeping you tied down. Yeah, you explained that perfectly, honestly. Yeah, so I think it was honestly it's a very good answer. And I think, you know, a lot of times, like, you know, th there's a saying like, the best advice you need is the advice you give. So obviously, it's very hard to not be hypocritical when you give people advice, whether it be spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever. You know, you, a lot of times the advice you give is always what you need to hear. And I think that, you know, God uses that um, as a way to like speak to us. He uses our own words to speak to us, which is really fascinating. Um, you know, in, in the service, something up when Abraham said on this podcast, if you haven't watched it, it's up there. Um, and, you know, said multiple times is that like when you go to serve, we're not the ones serving, we're the ones being served. Right? You learn so much from going out and serving others about yourself, about God, about all these things. And even though you're the one evangelizing, you're the one getting evangelized. Yeah, like when we were um, like we were just preaching in the mall, the three of us, and like I learned so much about my faith by having to explain it to others. And if I didn't have that experience, like I, I would know so much less about my faith. But being like kind of thrown into the deep end, forced me to learn about my faith. What does it actually mean to be a Christian? What does it actually mean to be a Coptic Orthodox Christian? So I agree with that point for sure. We need the service a lot more than the service needs us. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is we don't, the service doesn't need us. We need the service. Um, but another thing is when evangelizing, and I don't know if this is really like what type, if it ties into what we just, just go said, for it. but um, it's where we're not bringing others to Christ, but we're bringing Christ to others. Mm. 
So if you if we all switch our mindsets to the service doesn't need us, we need the service, and we're not bringing others to Christ, we're bringing Christ to others. Like, I feel like our job would be so much easier. I love that point. And even if you think about Christ Himself, was when He was on Earth, He didn't like like not everyone was converted. So we can't convert everyone. If Christ, if Christ couldn't convert everyone, I promise you the three of us, like we have no chance. But what Christ did is he brought himself to every single person he meet, whether it was the Pharisees or the Samaritan woman. And I think in that same example, no matter who we meet, whether it's a professor, a teacher, um, a friend at school, whoever, we can take Christ to them in a small conversation. Yeah, and the one thing I do remember uh, when you bring that up is the parable of the sower, obviously. Our job is to simply plant seeds. So mm-hmm. we're not. our job is not to convert everyone we see or everyone we come across, but it's just to, to plant the seed and make them question their beliefs a little bit and just plant the seed of Christianity in them. And I think for me, like, when I really learn, like, it's planting the seeds, that's for me where the service completely, like, changed. Like, instead of, like, all you need is the first step. All you need is that little little prick into the in the mind like Abunane always says you just need to prick the mind and I, I find that so fascinating because you know you see this not just in service to people who you evangelizing outside the church but internally in the church you look at Sunday school I'm a first and second grade Sunday school servant obviously the words that I say you know these kids might listen might not you know I can tell them about all these things but I will never see the fruit of that service in the year that I teach them or in the year after or whatever. When that fruit will be seen when they get to high school, when they get to college, when they become adults, that foundation, you can now test the strength of it. And it's the same way where it's like, you know, when we, when we go and we serve these people and we evangelize, obviously me talking to someone one time about God or about, you know, the Coptic Orthodox church isn't going to change much. All it, all it might do, is it might make him think about it a little bit. Yeah. And it's the power of, you know, compounding service, you know, compounding prayer that I think is what really um, makes evangelism so powerful. And sometimes I feel like God tells you to plant the seeds, and sometimes I feel like he tells you to harvest the seeds. Like um, we recently sent a group to, to Zambia, our church, and they they were like on fire after the trip like they wanted to convert every single like american to christianity so they went to starbucks and were handing out uh like blessing bags and 99% of the people was this is our church whatever blah 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 the same spiel and then one guy he was a muslim guy they came up to him and 45 minute conversation they were in tears he was in tears and he was saying like you told me Bible verses that the, the, my neighbor priest told me 20 years ago. So they're harvesting the seeds that was planted 20 years ago by the priest. So that story, I feel like, is a good reminder that the seeds you're planting in those first and second graders or your friends at schools, someone else will use to harvest in 20, 10, 20 years that you might and you probably won't never know about, but still plant it. And God willing, one day we will be called to harvest the seeds because I can't imagine a better feeling than that. Yeah, and to go off of that, um, I used to have this misconception that uh, um, it's going back to the parable of the sower is we're called to plant seeds, but I asked Abuna if we're also meant to soften the soil that the pleas are planted. Mm. That the seeds are planted. Seeds are <laughs> that the seeds are planted in. 
Um, and he was like, how are you going to do that? Like, you can't soften the soil because that's God's job. Mm-hmm. God can soften their soil, which is their heart. If the heart is already hardened, you, there's nothing you can do. There, you can't plant the seed. But we can definitely water it. So that goes back to your point is like mm-hmm. watering. I mean, and even think about like we're going to use this parable. We're going to expand on it. You know, think about if you put a seed on a road, right? And you water that seed every day. Eventually, the water is going to erode the, the, the ground, whatever, the asphalt. There'll be little cracks. You ever seen the sidewalk? You see like the plants in the, in the crack of the sidewalk? How do they get there? Seed got stuck in the middle. Water, 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 sunlight, 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 sunlight. And now you have a plant. So I think that goes to show where it's like you never know where you might, like where the seeds you plant, where they might fall. You might think that this person or this group or whatever, there's no hope. There's no hope that anything will come out of it. And it's one of those things in evangelism where it's like you're planting, you feel like you're doing it for no reason. You're just planting whatever, you know, like when we're at the mall, there's many times over there I felt like, you know, we're just throwing seeds at a, you know, at like hard ground, like what's going to happen? But you never know. You know, and some of those people that I expected to just turn us away or be like, nah, whatever, they had conversations with us. And some of the best ones that, um, you know, we had. And it just goes to show, like, you can't ever predict this stuff, right? God is, God is the one who's in control. God is the one who uses you for this purpose, for this person, and uses you again for a different purpose, for a different person. He uses you to minister to him and him to minister, like, and it's so inter, inter, intertwined and intri- like intrinsically woven together, all of us, that, you know, the meaning of one body is really true. And it's very interesting and it's very fascinating how God takes each and every single one of us and uses each and every single one of us for a different purpose, for a different um, p- person or group of people. I've also noticed that people aren't as opposed to talking about God as I yeah. believe. Like, even if they don't believe and they're very set in their beliefs, I still think for the m- most of the time they want to talk about God. They want to know what we believe. So sometimes I feel like myself, first and foremost, use that as an excuse of not to preach. But like people are really hungry and the harvest is very, very plentiful. So it's our job really to be those few laborers and plant those seeds, even if it's scary. I agree. And to piggyback, piggyback off that. My You're words struggling are, today. Yeah, I'm struggling. <laughs> um, but to piggyback off of that, uh, there, I feel like it's also like there's a very uh, important job on our part which is to accept the call to evangelize. And evangelism, not, it's not a thing you do, but it's a life you live. You live a life mm. of evangelism. You don't, you don't go out and do evangelism. Like, yeah. you can go out and serve the homeless or pu- do public preaching or whatever, and that's good, but that's, like, that's very good. Um, but we need to live a life of evangelism and not use opportunities as an excuse to do evangelism. Um, and kind of an analogy to go off of that is... Um, what Buddha Anthony said is we are called to be lighthouses, not just lights, but lighthouses. And what a lighthouse does is it has a light and it has an open window to shine the light um, out into the water. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you need when living a life of evangelism is a light. So like you said, when we are when we're filled, we can fill others. Mm-hmm. So we need that light and we also need an open window. Um, and I have another analogy, but. Save it for later. Okay. I think the open window is something very, very, very interesting because 
a lot of times we have a lot of people who very knowledgeable, very spiritual, but they never have an open window. I think, and it goes back to this point that, you know, me and Michael just made where it's like, you never know what conversations you could be having until you go and have them, right? Like, even on this podcast, where I know that the, I'm going to have a long conversation with the person who I'm talking to, there are times where, you know, because I don't really prepare for these. As you guys know, I don't, I just kind of like topic and just show up basically. Um, where the conversation goes is a completely different direction than what I was expecting. And what that does is it, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, it's a very good thing. It's very natural. It's very like, I really get to understand what the person is and what their purpose in life is. You know, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a lot of times when you talk to these people and they talk about God and, oh, I used to be Catholic or sorry, the, the, the key phrase, I grew up Catholic, you know, you know what's coming next. Like you never know what those, you know, what those people really want on the inside, what they crave. A lot of people, you know, especially nowadays in like the world we live in and people are craving the truth. You know, they're desi- they desire the truth, capital T truth, and love, capital L love, and all these things. And it's like, you know, there's only one entity that contains all this, and it's God. Yeah. And it's just, it's our job to kind of plant those seeds along the way. I love those two points. And for the longest time, I had the light, but not the open window. Like, I grew up in the church, thank God, my dad's a priest, Sunday school from like day one. Like I know I know all the I know all the Sunday school answers, all the Sunday school stories, but from like kindergarten to eleventh grade, I didn't open my mouth about God. I didn't want anyone to know about uh like Christianity or Orthodoxy. And like when people would ask me what my dad did, I'd say he worked for a nonprofit. Like I wouldn't give any any detail. And then like t- like senior year, I've had more conversations about God than I've had in the past like 10 years. And like, it's been amazing seeing that like people really want to hear about God. People really want to hear the truth. And it's our job to, to tell them. And like a verse that always hits me that I was sharing with the guys before this is a Matthew 10, 32. Whoever confesses me before men, him also I will confess before my father in heaven. And then the second part of the verse, which is like, it's harder for me to say is whoever denies me before uh, men, him also I will deny before my father in heaven. And that verse like really got to me and like, I can't just gloss over it anymore. Like when at the end of the day, like we grew up in the church, like we're going to have to like give an account of the people who we saw. We want to make sure we confess God. So like keeping that perspective um, has made talking about Christ a lot easier. Um, I keep bringing back the point that I'm like a freshman in college and uh, (laughs) everyone said before I uh, went to college that there are so many opportunities to talk about God. I get there. Nobody's interested. Nobody has a desire to talk about it or nothing. Um, I gave it a few months. Like, obviously, it's my first semester. I gave it a few months. And like people ask small questions here and there. And the conversation is like, 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there. And then you'll get to a point in in your friendship with whoever, and you'll talk about it for a longer time, and you'll talk about God for longer. And, um, like, it's just, it's it's good to see that people really are interested, like you said. Like, people really do want to talk about it. You just need to 
give them the opportunity because people aren't going to bring it up on their own. You need to, you need to plant the seed a little bit before you actually plant the seed, you know? Mm. Um, but there's kind of a question, but how do you guys feel about, um, like when you don't know what to say or when the other person has a valid point and the world is kind of getting in the way mm. of you sharing your yeah, life. I was, I was going to ask that question next, but before we answer that question, I just want to say like something that I've just noticed is that all three of us have something in common that throughout this year, whether senior year of high school or freshman in college for you, um, talking about God with peers has been something that's all of a sudden become at the top of our conversation list. I mean, I know, for me, I think it's, I think I know what the, the, why the reason is it's, you know, what you're watching right now. Um, but it's true. Like what you say, like people do want to know, but they're almost like scared to ask. And it's really, it's really, um, sometimes it's frustrating. Um, but to answer your question, you know, sometimes you have these conversations and people will say something that, you know, either they're either saying it to try to like challenge you or shake your faith a little bit or they make a valid point or whatever. And I always, I always, I live by this rule when people ask me questions about anything, not just church, but anything is that, you know, it's something I read in a book called, um, a book called The Logic of God by Robbie Zacharias, a big uh, Christian apologetics. Um, and it says um, in the book that every question has a questioner behind it. So every single question has someone who's asking the question. Obviously, that's very obvious, very common sense. But what, what that means is in order to answer the question correctly, you have to understand why the question is being asked, right? Like in order for me to answer the question of does God exist, I have to understand where, like, where is this person coming from? What is their background? So do they believe in God? Do they not? You know, what, is, what are some experiences that maybe kind of morph their opinion of it? And then what facts or what objective uh, details do they bring to the table to support their argument? And if I don't see that the person who's asking the question is asking it for the right reason or they're not fit enough to see the answer, a lot of times instead of answering, I try to ask them another question. I try to ask them a question, whether it's, you know, why or sometimes why is like the worst question, but you know, you just, you want to ask another question to always see kind of where they're coming from. Because a lot of times these questions are very broad, right? Does God exist? There's so many ways you can answer this question, right? And you want to give the answer that'll answer their real question a lot more. So a lot of times you just have to go digging for the real answer, you know, but there's, there are people who just want to sit there and challenge you. And for those people, honestly, you just like, you know, sometimes you just have to walk away from the conversation and it sucks because you like, you're like, you know, God put me here, you know, in this moment to evangelize. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, you just have to walk away. Yeah. And sometimes with those, um, like people who are more challenging and really everyone you're evangelizing to, the most powerful thing you can do is pray for them. Mm -hmm. I believe that with all my heart. If you pray for the people who you're witnessing to, God will answer those prayers. God loves it when one of his children is praying for another one of his children who's lost. That makes God's heart very happy. So I'm sure God will answer those prayers. But uh, in terms of those specific situations, those are definitely more challenging. I like what Isaiah said a lot. Yeah, I agree. Um, and like I said, it's easy for me to use my actions to evangelize, but I feel like words is also a very important 
uh, aspect. That's why I asked. Yeah, and I also think, you know, something that almost is like a crisis in Christian America, Christianity in general, specifically, you know, I only know a lot about Orthodox, Coptic, Coptic Orthodoxy. Um, so it's hard for me to talk about other, uh, other, um, sorry, other dominate denominations of Christianity. But something I've noticed within the Coptic Church, and I'm sure it's true across all churches, is we're living in an education crisis, which is really weird considering the fact that we have all this information at our fingertips. And I think that the availability of the information is actually causing the lack of knowledge because that like logically makes sense. Like the more you have access to, the less you're actually going to know. It's like, oh, just look this up, look this up, look this up. And I find real power in when someone asks you a question, you know, first off, if you don't know the answer, say you don't know the answer, say, like, say. like don't make up stuff. But if you're able to give the right answer with confidence at that moment, because 70% of human communication is body language, 20% is tone, and only 10% is the words you actually speak. So what I actually say holds very little value in the terms of human connection, which is why texting is very inefficient, especially with these types of matters. Like my body language is very important. My tone is very important. So if I come off as confident and like I know what I'm saying and that I truly believe it, it'll tend to have more of an effect on the people who are listening. So I think that it's, it's very important to be knowledgeable, not saying that you need knowledge, but I think it's something that's very important. I think it's something that's worth investing in, into our youth, into ourselves, um, and even adults to invest into because, you know, there's no such thing as knowing too much about God. One thing I'll say, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, is 99 out of 100 times people don't believe in God because he allows suffering. And then my, like, they use the excuse of like, like, X percentage of people is in poverty, like whatever. But I feel like deep down inside, it comes from their own suffering. How could God let um, this happen to me? How could God let my mom die? How could he, like, sad situations, how could God let that happen? So what, how would you guys answer that question? Because that's the hardest question for me to answer. Because I don't want to belittle their own experiences. Because it is suffering. And some of those situations are really sad. And I haven't gone through that. So how would you guys answer that question? I think first you need to put a, put a background to this, you know, question like, you know, everyone suffers, right? And there's, there's something very striking that you can see. You see a lot of people, um, like Kiro, for example, if you haven't watched his podcast, it's up there, um, who, what he went through, he was at the lowest of low in his life. He did, he went through something really, really hard, but he took that. And he turned it into the ultimate rebound up to God, right? And you could take a random person, put them in the exact same situation, and they would fall off a cliff. So obviously God puts us through tests to sharpen us, right? Iron sharpens iron, right? He puts us through things in order to develop us so that we can choose to love him more. It's a very key point, choose to love him more. So in those moments, if you don't choose to love God more, you're just going to keep falling and keep falling. And so why does God allow suffering in the world is a very, very loaded question. And it, it stems from a place, for a lot of people, it stems from a place of bitterness. Like you just said, it stems from their own bitterness. And so that's like what I was saying earlier when it's like, what are the circumstances behind your question? You're bitter. So I think something that we, that we can do is, 
instead of necessarily answering that question head on, you answer the question or you ask the question, what, like, what makes you bitter? Why are you bitter? Because it's so much easier for the human mind to understand something that is personal and a single event than for us to understand the entire macro, the entire universe of why does God let bad things happen? It's so hard for our brain to understand why does God do something? Because it's just so big. It's so immense. Like if I tell you to picture the number a billion, your brain physically cannot picture the number one billion. Like obviously you can write it out, but like a billion like pennies or like a billion people, like your brain doesn't, that's 10 magnitudes higher than a million. That's, that's crazy. Like your brain doesn't even go there. So for you to say God who is infinite, I mean, your brain doesn't understand numbers in terms of that. So, you know, in this, like in the same way, it's easy for you to take a single experience. So it's very easy for you to go, you know, why are you bitter? You know, what made you bitter? And then you talk about that and you talk about, well, why did, why might have God let that happen? That specific event. And maybe, and maybe, you know, that will help answer the question, but that's just a thought. So, you know. Oh, I was just going to say, the answer to that question is the same as asking, um, like, why did God die on the cross for our sins? Is because mm. he loves us. And it's the same, like, why does God let bad things happen? I don't think he puts it upon us, but he allows it because he wants us to grow in, uh, like, our relationship with him. Um, and it's just a very, it's such a basic answer, and it's very, very broad. But, like, I tell that to people sometimes, and they don't get it. I'm like, God is incomprehensible, and that's the answer I have for you, so... I think a good analogy, though, is like think about a father with a child, right? As a father, you don't want to shield your child because, I mean, it'll suck when he gets older. So you let him do some things that might hurt him, but you, like, make sure he doesn't go too far, right? So God will only, like, the same way, God will only give you, sort of, like, an example, like a worldly example. You know, a kid touches a hot stove. You know, you're going to let him touch the hot stove to see what it feels like to touch the hot stove and burn himself so that he learns not to do it again, Right? So in the same, why did the parent let the kid touch the, like the kid said, I'm going to touch this, right? You say no, no, and they do it anyways. Like, why didn't they physically stop them? Because that experience is valuable. It's valuable for their development. Obviously, if he puts his hand on there and leaves it, the parent's going to take it off because it's not good. He might burn his hand, whatever. But a little touch, he can handle it. So the same way God, God always gives you, gives you stuff you can handle, but he lets bad things happen so that you will be able to develop and take that experience and apply it either now, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. That's, that's one thing I noticed throughout my life is God will only give me things I can handle. The reason he let me grow up in the church instead of not in the church and then come to him later is because he knows that's what I can handle. Mm. Um, it's kind of like the parable of the talents, like what you were explaining yeah. to us earlier. Um, we are the least amount of talents because... We, grew, we had it easy. We grew up in the church. We had everything throughout our entire lives as opposed to people who didn't have anything at the start and now they're close to God. They are obviously the most talented. They went from nothing to 100. We went from 100 to 100, you know. Or 100 uh, to nothing. Exactly. Yeah, it's not from our own willpower. It's from, it's from the grace of God. Um, we can't do anything from our own power, but we can, mm. we can use him um, as a means to get back on the right track. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, especially like, when it comes to the talenting, like we are, we are the least of the least, right? We, we are like, 
God, God knows how weak we are. We are the weakest. And he gave us everything we could have in our lives so we could stay in the right path because we, like, there was no chance we were coming to God in any other way. And I, I seriously believe that. And like you said about the talents, like, you know, and the, the parable of the talents is such a good warning to the people who are born in the church, honestly. Because we are given that one talent, and what do we do with it? We bury it underground. We don't increase in faith. We just bury it underground. And we're like, God, look, I'm, I was born in the church. I, I, I went to church every Sunday. You know, where there's people who have three talents, you know. You know, they got, you know, single-parent families. They have, you know, juggling the kids at home. They're in and out of church, but they pray every day. They read the Bible every day. They get better and better in their spiritual life. They made three more. People with the five talents, the orphans, whatever, you know, whatever you want to use. And they found a way, you know, to God. And then here's five more. And here we are with our one talent. God only gave us one task to do. And we buried it underground and picked it back up. So I think, you know, it's a very good warning to us. And it, and it kind of furthers the point of evangelism. Right? We have that one talent. We need to share it with the people around us. We need to take that one talent, invest in ourselves, fill ourselves, bring more talents and distribute it and start that all over and over and over again. Um, as if, you know, it was a factory and not a, not a parable, but that's, that's how I honestly see it. I agree with that a hundred percent. I have another analogy. Go for it. You ready? Okay, this is not my analogy. Actually, it's Joe Asmi's very wise individual. Um, but he shared this analogy on, um, the Coptic club at Virginia Tech's first gathering. Which um, you're the president of. Which I'm, yeah. <laughs> Big I shout out. Of course, of course. <laughs> thank you. Um, but if you do go to Virginia Tech, please join. Um, but anyway, sorry. It's okay. Plugs uh, are okay. <laughs> you can plug yourself. Okay. When, uh, so obviously he was talking about evangelism because we're like a startup Christian club. We're, we're called to, to serve others. So topic was evangelism for the for the event um and he said we're called to be moons like the moon in the sky a reflection of the light yeah um. so so what a moon does if you look at a full moon it absorbs all of the sun's light and it reflects it back to earth well, all of it well, it doesn't really absorb it yeah it Sorry. takes takes it, it's it you know when things absorb they don't reflect those are opposites yeah. got you I, yeah, I, I don't you know I, I what you mean. What you mean? Yeah, like, the moon. Takes, all it does is it takes the sun's light and bounces it back. Yeah. So, like what you said earlier, we're filled and we share, but that's what full moons do. Now there's there's complications because you can be a crescent or a gibbous or <laughs> or a gibbous. Sorry, it's a funny word. You could be a waning gibbous too. You, you could be fading yeah. out. Yeah, but not a full moon. And what is a waning gibbous do or a crescent. Only some of the light. Reflects. Only some of the light reflects. You receive it, but you don't reflect it all. And then there's certain instances where there's an eclipse, mm. and the Earth gets in the way of mm. reflecting the light. You still receive the light, but you don't reflect it. And then there's like another eclipse or something like that, where you don't receive the light at all because the Earth is gets in the way. Yeah. So. Uh... Now, I was I just going to say, like, yeah. lunar eclipse Something like that. is where you don't get any of the light. Mm. Solar eclipse is where you get it and you block it from the... Yeah. 
I've definitely experienced like, like having extreme sadness, seeing certain situations in the world, and then thinking there's no point in planting the seeds. Like, like the world is just so sad. So how would like you guys think like? Because I get in funks where I'm like, there's no point in evangelism. The world is so bad. So. Like, what do you guys think about that? So let's just define funk for people who don't live in Virginia, please. I'm sorry. A funk is a slump. There. Yeah, yeah. it's a slump. Um, so you're saying, it, it, you're like, where you absorb the light, but you can't reflect it? Yeah. Where I'm just so shocked at some of the things I see. And I'm sure you guys see the same things that I'm just like, like, I can't, like, it's too much, God. For, I'll say for me personally, I don't have a hard time with the earth getting in the way because I can, I can push the earth out the way or go around the earth, you know? So the lunar eclipse is fine, but the solar eclipse is dangerous because I'm still working on that myself because, um, like, a lot of the times it's easy for me to absorb the light, but reflecting it back is the hardest part still for me because, um, like, I work... I found myself working a lot through actions, evangelizing through actions and not a lot through words. But for me, I need a balance and it's hard for me to have that balance. So it's a good question for Isaiah. Really? You can throw me the alley-oop? I got you, man. Um, hmm. It's a good question, honestly. And so what I'll say for you personally, uh, you, you know, you know you, you're one of these people that... Um, Reminds me of Jordan Peterson a little bit because you take you take responsibility for like the world's actions like they're your own. It's very inspiring. Um, so I just wanted to say that. But you know when you see things in the world, because obviously there's always going to be bad in the world. There's always going to be bad people, bad things, bad places. Um, it's hard. It, it's very hard sometimes to motivate yourself. But I think where that motivation comes from really is it really does come from God. It really comes from filling yourself. You know, I think I, when I think of the times of when I didn't know what to say, whether on this podcast or in general when I'm talking about religion or, or whatever, is that it's those times where I spend the least time with God before. I mean, there's a reason why I, I film podcasts on Sundays after church. There, there's a very distinct reason. I film any other day of the week I want. But I film on Sundays after church because I really do feel the Holy Spirit you know, working through me when I talk. I really feel like I'm in, I've become in union with God and now God is able to say His will through me. I'm just, I'm just a vessel. I just have a, have a good podcast voice and that's it. Right? That's, that's all I am. Like I, I'm, none, of, none of it is from me. So that's why I like to film on Sundays. So I think it goes back to that same thing where it's like you, you have to fill yourself. Like there are days where, you know, I haven't filmed on Sundays and it's, it's felt slower. Like on, it just has, you know, it's felt like that, you know, a lot of times when I'm challenged with these questions or with these topics, it's, I never know how to respond. Um, so I think it's, it's always filling yourself with Christ and filling yourself with God. And I mean, obviously, you know, it's very hard to do all the time, but. So ironically enough, a podcast about evangelism, the theme is when the door is locked and you're alone in your room and like. That is the theme. I, I just think that's, that's funny, but I think it's so true. And like we always say the Sunday school answer, read the Bible, pray, Agbeya. But those are vital. If we want to be the light of the world, like we need to be reading the Bible every day. We need to be praying every day. So I just, 
like it never hit me until this moment that like how essential it is to fill yourself, you know? And that goes back to the point of like the earth getting in the way. And actually I lied. I do. The earth does get in the way. It's hard for me to go around it. That's very big. It was very small. But <laughs> I'll say, what was I going to say? I don't know, man. I wish I knew. I know. I think what I was going to say was that um, it's, it's very easy for me to let the world get in the way, um, which is, it contradicts what I said five minutes ago. It's okay. But like I make, I make time for the gym. I'm at the gym every day, regardless if I'm sick, if I'm like, if I don't have time, I make time for the gym, mm. the gym, nothing else. But I feel like I need to do a better job making time for God. And he, he's, I walk through life with God, but like, obviously we all need dedicated time to Christ. Um, which is like, it, it makes me sad sometimes when I don't have time because like I say I have time for the gym, but I don't have time for God. Um, which I feel like that's letting the world get in the way. Not enough hours in the day, to be honest. I think, you know, to go back to what Michael said, you know, you know, like how it starts, you know, in the home, in the house, in your room. And then that's where the real evangelism is. Um, something else Abuna Abraham said on this podcast, again, make sure to watch it if you haven't, um, was that you know a servant by how he serves in his home. And in the same way, you know an evangelist on how he evangelizes in his home and in his own heart. I think that's very important because it's very easy to talk about God. It's very easy, or at least for us, to talk about God, to talk about, oh, God loves you, God forgives you. But obviously we all believe that God loves us. We all believe God forgives us. But do we really believe that every single word that we say when we go out and evangelize, do we really believe those words? And that's a question that, you know, for a long majority of life, of my life, that I ask myself. I mean, I've been going on mission, I went on to a mission trip before I went to high school, before, you know, I really believed. Um, and it's, it's different after you really do believe it. It's not just words anymore, right? It's life. It's experience, right? There comes a point in life where after you experience something of a divine intervention, um... You can't even put it into words. You can't explain what it's like to see God literally work in your life. Like to see it happen with your own two eyes. It's so hard to explain. And I think that's where the real evangelism is. It's the evangelism of the heart. It's the, the noose, if you will. So the noose is a Greek word for the mind or the eyes of the heart or the heart it has a lot of meaning. So like the, the metaphysical heart is like the real like English translation, if you will. Um, so it's real evangelism is when my news can connect to yours, when my metaphysical heart can connect to yours, when I'm able to transfer the love of God from me to you. And just like, you know, we were talking about this a couple days ago, you know, when you see servants in the church, the servants with the strongest service are the servants who are married. Why? Because when you're married, you're able to have the most intimate form of love with someone else. You're the closest to the love of God that, 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 that you can see in two physical people. That's the closest you can get. And, when, and as, a, as a kid, when I see two servants that 
have that love and push that love into the service, that fills me with love. So in the same way, if I'm able to take the love of God that I experience with whatever, however I experience my love with God, and I'm able to transfer that and push it into you, whether that's through words, actions, whatever, that's where I think the real evangelism is. Um, that's a really long answer yeah. to your question, but sorry. I, I love that point so much. And like when you were talking about belief, uh, I feel like belief equals sacrifice. Mm -hmm. If I really believe God died on the cross for me, for my sins, for my salvation, and that's the ultimate sacrifice, then I'm willing to sacrifice for him and not time and money. Like time and money is easy to sacrifice, but sacrifice stuff like my reputation, what people think of me, like stuff that actually hurts, that's how you know you really believe in God, when you only care about what God thinks. So I love that point, but I feel like sometimes like people ask, how do I know if I really believe or just believe? And it's sacrifice. How much am I really willing to sacrifice to God? And that's a question that the three of us, myself first and for, for, foremost, have to look in the mirror and really like look at God how much do I want to sacrifice for you? What do I want to give up for you, you know? And that sacrifice is, is so important because a sacrifice is, to ch is choosing to love someone, right? The way that we can choose to love God, the way we can choose to love our, you know, wife. Like, for example, like um, Ephesians 5, it says to the husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, for he gave himself up for the church right? The love between a husband and a wife is a choice, right? Love is a choice. You have to choose to love to the point of sacrifice, to the point of death. Just think about that for a second. Right? When you marry someone, you have to love them to the point of death. When I, you know, think about all the martyrs of our church, we're the church of the martyrs. That's like literally like another name for the Coptic church. And think about how much the martyrs love God, the point to where they would die for Christ, that's it. That's the only reason why they died, to be with him eternally. And for us, we complain when we have to sit through a three-hour liturgy or we, have to, we, we complain when on Palm Sunday when it's you know super long and you have the funeral prayer after. Or we complain when the World Cup is on a Sunday and we have to you know miss part of it for liturgy. And yet all these people love Christ to death. You know? St. Paul in the midst of suffering in jail and sickness was writing epistles to like, he was still preaching while he was sick and in jail. If that's me, like, and I, he was yeah. joyful. And He's, I know yeah. God, if that was me, no way I'd complain. God, how could you let this happen to me? It's not fair, but he, he understood that God died on the cross for him and for his salvation. And then he took that as, I'm going to sacrifice my life to God because he sacrificed his life for mine. And I really think that, like, that's the message I want to give you, you guys, and your viewers. It's a good point. Um, the only thing I can say after that is whatever, everything that we have, including our time, our money, our relationships, everything was given to us by God. Mm. So our, our mission here on earth is to to give back what he gave us. So give back our time, give back our money, give back, just give back to the people through evangelizing. Well, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure having you both on, you again, and obviously you for the first time. 
and you'll be on here again tomorrow morning. So, uh, or tomorrow at some point. Um, so thank you guys for coming on. Thank you guys for watching, subscribing, listening, liking, and commenting, and make sure to turn on post notifications. And that's all. Thank you. Thank you, thank Isaiah. You. Appreciate it. Thank you. Let's go. Thank you.